Hello and welcome to the Leading the Line podcast. I'm your host, Chris Marshall. As always, I hope you're keeping well and staying safe. And we are back once again to meet a familiar face from the world of Scottish women's football. This time around, I am joined by a Scotland international who has won trophies in Scotland and Sweden and has recently reached the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League with our current side, FC Rosengard. I'm delighted to say welcome in to Fiona Brown. Fiona, thanks very much for coming on the pod. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It was actually a really good pronunciation. Are we having that? Oh, that's good. It's a good start. Yeah, I'm liking that. Because <laughs> um, I, I know that um, I know that you take you speak Swedish fluently. Are you? I'm guessing you must be pretty close to fluent now, considering how long you've been over there. Yeah, I mean, grammatically and stuff, not always great, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always think as well when you learn a foreign language, it's not about being grammatically correct, it's whether you can do the banter part of it. That's more interesting than like whether you've got the verb tense right, in my, in no, my exactly. opinion. It's more communicate, like conversation and stuff like that. That's where I've learned most of it, just being around people, picking things up. So like little sayings or stuff like that is what you learn that's more useful than, yeah, like you say, word order or stuff like that, so. Yeah, I'm a... I'm a big big believer in if you if you go somewhere you get in the language. So we'll talk about that for sure in a little bit. But um I mean we've kind of jumped straight into about Sweden, but how how is life in Sweden at the moment? Obviously we're still living, we're coming out of it just about in terms of like the world we're living in, but how's the kind of last last few months been for you? Yeah, I mean I've been very, very fortunate to have been here the entire time. Um we haven't had a lockdown as such in fact not at all just obviously there has been restrictions and there has been rules but um we've been really really lucky that I mean our league got delayed and stuff so we trained for, for a long period of time last year without knowing what was happening but um actually we got to train and we got to play the season um, and this year's the same we've been getting to train and play so that's a lot better than, than what you guys have had at home and um, I've not been locked in or anything like that we've been in a bubble which is more kind of the rules of the club than the government rules like there is there's obviously loads of rules from the government here as well but um, it, it has been mostly that people have to take their own responsibility and and that's worked they're very law-abiding people here and the that that system seems to have worked for this culture so yeah I've been I've been good and really really fortunate to have been able to continue and live my life to a sort of normal level and so yeah I'm really grateful I've got loads of family at home that have been locked in for for over a year now and obviously have seen not that I can understand how hard it's been but I've seen how rubbish it's been for them so yeah really really thankful that I've been here. I was going to ask how how because I, I know your your mum's like your number one fan. So how's <laughs> how's she been coping without being able to kind of come over and kind of see you and kind of have yeah, a, have a I mean, it's been tough. For, it has been tough for them. And I was I was actually coming back from from a bad injury last year, so they've actually not seen me play since before I was injured, which was two thousand nineteen. And I think the last time they saw me play was the World Cup, um, which is mental. So for for my mum who is very very support F and always has been and and absolutely loves to come over here I'm sure it's been been pretty um annoying for her she also retired like last year and she was thinking she was gonna have loads of weekends over in Malmo oh. but she didn't get to but um she's got a grandchild at home now so honestly I don't think she's that bothered about coming <laughs> over here <laughs> 
that's that's you bend off now at least until Absolutely. until the toddler <laughs> stage hits and then she'll be back over again and again. yeah <laughs> yeah well they've missed out on the first year so I think yeah still just free they're, they're absolutely doting on on little Maisie and yeah she's amazing so I don't blame them Absolutely. Um, we will definitely talk about kind of Swedish life and culture in a wee bit because I've been to Sweden a couple of times. Lovely place. Um, not been to Malmo, but we'll we'll get there. But I thought let's before we get to that bit, let's let's do the football stuff first. So let's let's get that done. So first question I always like to ask is, what's your kind of earliest memories of football? Oh, um, I mean. It's weird because like my family wasn't a football family um, they were really sporty. Like my mum and dad are both very sporty um, my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, all very, very sporty, but football wasn't one of those sports. Um, so I kind of tried my hand at everything. I was one of those manic kids that just wanted to be playing and outside all the time um, and tried my hand at absolutely everything and, and enjoyed everything. But it was actually an uh, active Sterling, like active schools class. They started at my, at my school at Dumbling Primary. Um, and it was, I was really, really lucky because the coach was Kirsty McNichol. Well, she's not Kirsty McNichol anymore, she got married, but she played for Glasgow City at that time. So, and she was the coach and she kind of said to my mom, like, listen, like she's got something like, she really enjoys it you should really look to try and get her a team but there was absolutely nothing in the local area so yeah my, my earliest memories are in the games hall at, at Dumbledore Primary just um playing in there I, I remember it was just like there was it was tiny it was tiny and there was like all the you know like all the climbing frames and stuff on the walls and the yeah. benches the goals were tiny but like I used to wait for a Tuesday night to go down there I absolutely loved it and uh, I went there in my entire primary um, I must have been about six, six when I started. I think I was maybe primary two. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my early memories. And then just playing in the street, playing in, in the garden, and um, there was a girl down the road that I played with constantly. Just going to the park and just you, you just meet people at the park and just start playing. That's what Dumbling was like growing up. So um, yeah, I would say that's probably the earliest. I, uh, I always remember playing when you played football in the gym hall sometimes you didn't have goals and that, maybe that's because I, I grew up in a council area so this is maybe why but yeah you had to turn the benches on their side yeah yep we did that as well cool. yeah. that's amazing it was so annoying because you, you had to shoot low <laughs> yeah and like and I always felt really bad for whoever had to go and go as well because like those those floors are hard like oh. they are not soft um, yeah Although if you had obviously the gym mat in front of it and then it hit the ball and it took the wee divot as well and that was like a completely different oh, thing. Not good. <laughs> so when when you were playing, uh, when you were playing, like obviously kind of growing up, did you have any kind of players that you were looking up to, maybe the men's game, women's game? Was there anybody that kind of inspired you to kind of keep going or was it just a thing you were like, I love doing this, I'm just going to keep doing this and I didn't think about it at the time? Yeah, like, I mean... I was I was a mad Celtic fan, um, which again came from nowhere. Like I don't know where that came from because again nobody in my family had um, much preference. Um, apart from my big cousins were Kilmarnock fans and my other cousins were Rangers fans, so I don't really know where that came from. So obviously started watching Celtic and Henrik Larsson, of course, like in his prime, best, like the best they'll ever be. Um, for me anyway. But then I remember getting as I got a little older. Um, I got to go to like games sometimes, like the women's national team games. 
And with Kirsty, the, the coach at Active Stirling playing with Glasgow City, they sometimes played down at the uni and that's really close, like Stirling Uni. So that was really close to us. So sometimes I got to go to a few games there. Um, so like for me, like Julie Fleeton and then Joe Love, I used to line up and get their autographs at games and, and stuff like that. And then ended up playing with them both. Like it's it's insane. Like I remember being on a night out once, like with, with Glasgow City and sitting like at a table between Julie and Joe. And I was just like, 10 year old me would have died like yeah, <laughs> um so yeah they were they were big big ones for me like um at that time Joe was a winger so she that was like my kind of position so yeah like Julian Julian Joe probably from the female game were were big ones for me I mean I think obviously as the women's game has grown in Scotland and across the world you're kind of seeing like folks like yourself and obviously there's people in the, the Scotland squad and people not in the Scotland squad that kind of more visible. Do you think that has been one of the benefits of the, the growing of the women's game? The fact that it isn't just a case of you happen to find that a team is playing no but you can go and see these like young girls can go and see these people, players kind of playing the game kind of almost weekend week out now. Hundred percent, and even just the fact that things are on TV. Um, like when I was a kid, if I'd seen somebody on TV, I thought they were famous. Like. It was just, it's just, it is that thing when you're young. And yeah, I just think the way that the women's games progressed, it's just allowed kids to now have role models. They've now got people like in front of them. And like Glasgow City obviously have that, the caption kind of, you can't be what you can't see, but it, it is genuinely so accurate because like kids growing up, the only reason they have all these role models in the men's game is because they're all over the TV, they're in the magazines, they're in the papers, they're in social media. And and now young girls actually have that access to, to all of us and things like that. So like there's role models there for them that they can see and, and aspire to be like. And I think like you say, the opportunities for girls now, it's you don't need to travel, it's on your doorstep for pretty much every kid in Scotland. Um, and I think that's that's a massive, massive part of it. And yeah, I, I think for my generation as well, that the fact that we are very, very aware, like we kind of came in when it was starting to change, but we got a bit of the old kind of ways as well. I think that's been really good for me in a way to, I've always had an idea and an understanding of the reason we're in the position to do what we do now is because the work that's been done before us, the likes of Joe and Julie and, all those players that that worked so so hard for and got no rewards really and we are probably gaining and reaping the rewards that they earned um i think we're really aware of that and i think we've got that responsibility now to the next generation as well because it can be so much better it's taken huge strides but a hundred percent can can get even better yeah i mean as as somebody who goes to a lot of women's football particularly in scotland because that's where i live just now um, yeah, there's something that I think for people that maybe don't go to women's football very often will, will strike them quite quickly is that after a game, whether it be an SWPL game or a Scotland national team game, the players will go and spend some time with the with the fans and kind of do the autographs, do the photos. Um, and I, I, it's one of the things that kind of attracts me to women's football is that this recognition that the only way you can kind of bring on the next generation is kind of keeping them in view. So it's a, it's a really cool thing to see. I think a lot of us have been that kid as well. We've done that and we've been there and I remember I've got I still got a thing in the house that Joel I've signed. I've still got it and that's what <laughs> eighteen years ago or something, like it was something I was so proud of when I got it. 
Um, and like, if you can do that for another kid, like in this generation, then yeah, I think 100%. I think we've been there and, and we get it, kind of. I take, I take it Joe knows that you still kind of carry this, carry this about with you. Or still in, maybe not <laughs> carry it about with you, like a blanket, not a blanket. But, yeah. Get Ed at this part. No, um, no, I think like, yeah, Joe knows how much I respect her and then she's a really good friend as well now. And uh, yeah, I love Joe. I think she's she's um, a figurehead in the women's game in Scotland. And yeah, she knows. I think she won't remember anything like that, but I think there's a few of us that did it, to be honest. I know Wies is the same. She... She's got, she lined up and, and she was mascot or something at one point as well. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know if Joe knows actually. I think she does probably. I'll tell you what, we'll clip this out and put it as a tweet and we'll find out if she knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of getting back to you playing. Um, so what what was what was the first club then that you joined in terms of you kind of starting out kind of with a, in that club environment after kind of the, the, th- the thoughts from Kirsty? Um, well, then there wasn't any local, and um, the lo- most local was Falkirk, but that was still like 30 minutes for mum and dad, and at that time, like, it just, I have a big brother as well, so it just wasn't possible, like, to, to do that, and I was six, like, five, six years old, like, or maybe I was a wee bit older, but they probably didn't know if I was, it was a phase or whatever, like, they didn't know, so Kirsty actually ended up forming a team, um, and it was called Sterling Girls, and then, uh, was all just volunteers she was the coach completely volunteered like so much of her time um yeah and that was that was that and we played for a couple of years as sterling girls and a lot of it was just like me making kids come because I wanted to play um so we weren't very good but I loved every second and then from there we moved to Stenhouse Muir like the whole club moved to Stenhouse Muir because they had a back end and they had a bit more support and all that kind of stuff so yeah, we moved as a as a team there and kind of like formed more of like in a into a program where there was different age groups and stuff. That's cool. So, I, so did Kirsty set up that team specifically for you? I mean, there was a there was like a lot of us in the active schools class that loved it and oh, we had yeah. one for a period of time. So I think, I mean, I think I was probably the one. <laughs> like on in her ear telling her to do, like begging her to do it um but I think obviously a lot of the girls benefited from it I probably benefited the most um but yeah I mean I'd love to think it was for just for me <laughs> but, uh, I think it was like a, a, a mixture like there was a lot of girls that were really interested and had showed interest for a period of time at the, at the active schools class so no I mean I, I think it's a really good point as well because for a long time, kind of women's football in Scotland has been very central, central belt focused. There's been that that wee enclave in Aberdeen for a long time in terms of slavery, yeah. Rachel and Kim and all that. I've kind of kind of come down from, but um, I think it's something that is getting better because there's more teams now springing up. But as as you point out, for a long time, even somebody who is a bit younger than I am at the moment, um, it was still still something to look out for. But then, uh, did you move to Celtic then eventually after after Stenny? Yeah, so was that Stenny this year and then. Um... I managed to get into regionals from there and played one camp. Um, it was under 15s camp against Wales at Tory Glen. And that was like a lot of us were in that. Like Caroline was in it, Chloe Arthur, Lizzie, Zoe. There was loads of us from that. Abby Grant was in there as well. Uh, there was loads of us from that period of time that um, Megan Cunningham too, that are now in the squad or, or 
periphery and then yeah so I played there and then from from there got asked to join Celtic so um yeah that was for me in my head a very easy decision obviously my parents it was a massive commitment um I just don't think they could say no to me <laughs> I think <laughs> they, they generally thought it was would crush my, my life so um yeah so they they took the the decision to be to do it and commit to it and it was a lot of driving um but the one condition was that if school dropped football dropped so that was my my the threat held over my head um and I didn't want to miss football so I didn't let that happen and that was genuinely like my motivation like no I didn't dislike school had a good group of friends and everything but anytime that I maybe was being a bit lazy or whatever I just kind of had to power through it because I knew and I knew my mum and dad as well they're not they don't piss around like <laughs> uh, if, if I had done something wrong in school there's not a chance they would be getting in the car to drive me to football that night so um I didn't I didn't risk it. <laughs> That's absolutely fair Um you made your debut for Celtic really young 15 was it when you made your debut for Celtic? Yeah, so I played, I moved to Celtic and played a year at the under-15s and then got pulled up to first team, but I was only 15 when I went up. Um, yeah, pretty young when I think about it now. And what was that like, kind of going from kind of like the hot shot in the, in the kind of youth team to kind of stepping up and you're playing people that are, you know, I mean this in the nicest way possible, people that are like double your age and have obviously no, further down their, their journey and stuff like that. I mean... I didn't think much about it at the time, but it was a tough change room to walk into. I mean, you've got big, big characters in that team for a 15-year-old to walk into. Um, I mean, I remember Stacey Cook, Mandy Burns, Laura McMillan, Suzanne Grant, Joe Love, Gemma Fate. Like, the list was pretty pretty big. Um, and I just remember they were so amazing with me, so lovely, totally took me under their wing. Um, and it was difficult. I think I, w- I was wee, like I hadn't grown. I hadn't done my growing yet. Um, so I was very wee and I was now playing against women. Um, I could always get away with like just using my pace. Uh, a wee trick and, and away in the under 15s league and, and yeah, I could get away with that. But I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do that at the first team because I was playing against women. Um, so yeah, I learned th- had to learn pretty quickly and, and learn that it wasn't all sunshine and roses pretty quickly as well. So um it was amazing. And I honestly I, I couldn't fault the girls. They were they were unbelievable. I mean they told me if I'd done something wrong, but they also completely backed me and took me under their wing and, and until I earned my respect kind of, you know, like I had to prove myself and I managed to do that uh, pretty early on and, and as soon as that Bridget being crossed, I was just one of them. Um, looking back now, I think I was definitely too young. I was definitely too wee. But at that time, I was just kind of taking it in my stride. I was just kind of in awe. I'm just kind of riding on this wave. But uh, yeah, I was probably, my body probably wasn't ready. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it doesn't sound like you were daunted by the proposition of kind of going, or was it just like the exuberance of youth kind of meant that and yeah. you say you just kind of could ride the wave and you didn't really notice? I think it was na- I was just naive. I-, I don't think... I just thought, oh, my God, like, I'm playing for Celtic. Like, that was, like, the big thing. And like I said, like, I was playing with people I'd gone to watch at games. Um, 
so for me it was just yeah just had I was just trying to do my best all the time and I think at that time as well you, you think so much of people I still think so much of them all of course but at the time when you're 15 you come up like they can do no wrong in your eyes so it's not about oh why is she shouting at me like I, I didn't do this or whatever it's more like oh she said that that must be right like I need to fix that kind of like just in awe and just took everything in that I could and, and tried them I must have been so annoying honestly like yeah. I was probably running around like trying so so hard collecting all the football like just being yeah I was just a kid you know what I mean like I actually was a kid so you can imagine putting a kid into an adult environment like it's a bit weird but yeah I loved it I loved it absolutely now in hindsight I would probably say I was a bit young but at the time I didn't think much about it and then from Celtic you kind of followed the path that Pretty much everybody and and any <laughs> any Scottish football talent kind of went, which is moving to Glasgow City. I mean, how did that one come about? Because you've been at, been at Glasgow for a couple of years by that point. Yeah, I was at Celtic, I think, for years total. Um, and at the end of each season, Eddie, at the time it was Eddie, um, who was in charge at City and, and Monte, and they had tried to speak, well, Eddie mostly had tried to, contact me every time at the end of the season and I was you hear what you hear at, in women's football as well and like I didn't really know I came from Dunblane I literally was completely just in this new world um, of women's football that I didn't even know existed like two years previous um, so I had heard like oh he's going to try and come and get you don't let him like lie to you like all this stuff or like City, City's not all that, City's not all that and all this stuff and, and I believed that at the start and I, I didn't even give him the time of day to be honest the first couple of times and then um, after that last year I'd just come back from one of my injuries and I just knew, I think I just knew I needed a change, like I needed to be pushed, I'd felt like I'd lost a lot of time um, and so I answered the phone <laughs> and him and Monty actually ended up coming all the way up to Dunblane and came to my mum and dad's house and it was me it was so funny it was actually so funny to think about but it was me mum and dad in the sofa and then Eddie and Monty came in and literally I mean I want to say sold me a dream but it was a reality like nothing they said was false and nothing they said that would happen didn't happen um, and Mon they just showed me the path that they had for me they thought what they thought I could improve on what they thought my career could look like if I did the right things and what Glasgow City had done and the opportunities that Glasgow City produced and I don't know if anyone could have said no to that um, at that time and I signed there and then um, I just remember Monty on the, my mum's living room floor with all these newspaper articles showed me all this stuff it was so funny but um, yes I signed there and then and in all honesty never looked back um, it was hard like at that time I was still relatively young and all my friends like all my friends that I'd grown up with were playing at Celtic and I was the first one to take that step um, and it was hard I mean like at the time a few of them weren't happy but we were young like we were a bit immature in that way um, but I knew I just knew that that's what I needed to do I just had a feeling I, I had a feeling in my in my heart that this is if you want to get where you want to get, get to then this is what you need to do and, and I think I was right. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I've always discovered whenever I speak to somebody who used to play for Glasgow City, there's always an affection in the tone of, tone of voice. Why, why do you think that is? Like, for you personally, 
why why does Glasgow City still even now have that that feeling for you? I mean, that club's just like a family. Like, I don't take it lightly when I say like I owe those that club my career a hundred percent. 100%. I mean, there's been people that's helped all the way through massively, my family in front of everyone, but that club provided me with opportunities I couldn't have got anywhere else. Um, they stuck by me. It's just, and I think, to be honest, I think that talking about all these young girls now having so many opportunities and stuff, I think all of them owe the majority of that to Glasgow City and Monte and Cass because They've literally just been the pioneers for women's football for decades. I mean, it's got to the point now it's decades and they've just provided so many opportunities for people. Um, they've pushed ba- barriers cont- continuously, continuously refused to say no. I remember when they started bringing people in from abroad and everyone was talking about it all, oh, like how are they allowed to do that? How are they doing that? And and look now where that's led the league now that's the thing to do and that's how we're going to make the league better um but yeah like just just the the amount that I got from my time there I won so many things I learned so much I learned how to play the game both through Eddie and through Scott I got so much from but the players that I got to play with I mean you go to training and the standards are set by the players in training and if you don't meet them you're told and you soon get onto that wagon of okay like this is how it is here like this is I need to be at this level every time I step on the pitch um and it's, you just learn so much you've got people like Leanne Ross in training like technically tactically so good that she can teach you the game like she can help you develop so much um so yeah I mean I had some of the best times in my career at that club and I'll never ever forget forget it and I think people are quick to forget how much Glasgow City do for the country and for them um but I'll definitely never be one of those people I'm sure I want to be absolutely delighted to get hear you give that spiel as well which is good she'll pay me she'll pay me like <laughs> um you you mentioned you kind of kind of gave a wee nod to it there. You talked about your kind of injuries. Um, I have popcorn knees, both in terms of texture and the noises they make when I move. But <laughs> you've obviously had kind of your issues with with your, your kind of with your knees over the last. It feels like kind of pretty much since you kind of burst on the scene. That's a bit of a cliche, but pretty much, pretty Absolutely. much. Like even even when you were really young, you had you had an injury as well, didn't you? I did my first ACL at seventeen, so just turned 17 so yeah very young um, uh, and how how did I mean the first one kind of 17 then you had when was it 2016 I think 15 15 it was just after we played PSG in the quarterfinal because I think I remember reading somewhere that somebody had said to you that you might not ever play football again was that was that a realistic proposition at the time at that at that time um with the second ACL um, I mean, there was people that said that, oh, you'll be done. You'll be done. There's no way you can train in a professional environment with two ACLs, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was water off a duck's back. I was like, nah, like, I know that I can recover from this well. My body recovered really well the first time. I'm I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But this last, last injury that I had in um, 2019 into 2020 was... Yeah, it was the it was the worst by a long shot. Um, and the, the surgeon told me pretty much I was done. Um, when I woke up from surgery, 
so that wasn't great. <laughs> um, but I mean, all praise to my club. They stood, stuck by me and they were like, we're going to, the, the physio, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, and weirdly, it was a very, very rare injury, but he had weirdly rehabbed this before with a, another footballer, a guy. Um, and yeah, and he just said, yeah, it's the worst cartilage injury you could possibly have got, but we're going to try and we'll see how it goes. And, and it was very much like that. We, there's no guarantee, but I think for the surgeon to say that to me, it hit me quite hard um, because he was an expert kind of thing. Like he, I was like, who am I to, to doubt what he's saying kind of thing. But with the club support, honestly, like I don't think I would have actually kept going if they hadn't been like, you've got this, like it's going to be fine. Um and yeah, just worked and worked and worked. And eventually last summer, got to get my first like couple of minutes and it, it was a very slow build up for sure. Um, but that was the, that was like the first time that it's really been a case of like, yeah, like you could be done officially um, was last, was 2019. So, I mean, you, you kind of you thought that that could have been it. How- at that like when you were kind of sitting there, and somebody told you that. What was your initial reaction? Was, you, was it disbelief? Was it you said acceptance? But I'm guessing that wouldn't have been the first thing it would have. No, no, no. It took me a long time. It took me months to accept, like to to kind of like let go of that what he'd said. Um, and I was just kind of I, I don't know. It, it was weird for me. I'd worked towards being a footballer and having this lifestyle from. 13 14 like like before that I had a dream but like properly training pretty much all the time from from that young age got here and play professionally and and this was my life and love every single second of being in Sweden absolutely loved it um and then it was the first time I was like I don't know who I am without like I don't know who I am what I am without football like that's what I'm that's what I am like that's all I've known about myself. So I think I just had to kind of <laughs> learn a bit about myself and actually, re- like, that's obviously a very dramatic thought process at the time because this is our life and this is, like, what we live every day and do every day. Whereas, like, now I can see it a bit more clearly that, like, I am not just football kind of thing. Like, I have so much in life that, that is great and that I'm very grateful for. But at that time, your whole world crashes and... I think, um, yeah, it just took some time. Again, I had amazing support around me here. Um, And I just had to kind of like have those days where I felt really rubbish and kind of get myself out of it and and keep working and eventually started to see signs. And and I just remember sitting in the gym one day and I just was sick of having like the anxious feeling of like, is this going to be okay? And I was like, you can't live like this for the next year until you know if it's going to be okay or not, because that's not a way to live. So I just took the decision that at that moment to say, I'm going to give it everything I can and do everything possible to make sure I would get back from this and, and keep my dream alive kind of thing. And if it doesn't work and it doesn't happen, then I can live with the fact that I've done everything I can and that it's just my body said no. Um, and I don't know if I would have been able to live with that if it happened, but at the time I just had to tell myself. <laughs> um and yeah, and and then from there, I had such a better attitude to rehab and really like pushed on and, and just and took it step by step. And there were so many good things that happened here at the same time and with the club and, and my friends here are unbelievable. So that all helps. Um, yeah, so 
there there was ups and downs, like the same as every injury, but it was definitely um, the toughest one, one by far. Did you ever let yourself, let your gaze get too far away from that idea that football might not be something that's going to be an ongoing concern? Like, did you start looking at elsewhere or did you manage to turn your head back in time before that, that thought process started to happen? I worried about it more than anything. I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm, I'm very lucky I've got my degree. Um, I've done my PT qualifications and stuff. So I have other stuff, but like right now it's football and that's what I want to do. And um, I, I kind of worried about it more than anything than to begin to plan or whatever. I couldn't, I couldn't really get my pro- thought process to the point of like, would I move home? Like, what would I do? Like, I don't have a life at home anymore. Like, I have my life is here. I've lived here five years. So like, um yeah it was just daunting like I think anyone would be the same if they were if they were told that and it was just one of these things that was pretty daunting but um I think actually now I wish at that moment in time I was working with like a sports psychologist or something like that because I think they'd have been able to process those feelings a lot in a lot healthier way and a lot quicker um but yeah like you live and you learn and a hundred percent learned a lot about myself and um, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot stronger for it, for sure. More power to you. Okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned Sweden. We've talked about Sweden a little bit. So let's let's get to Sweden. You're obviously at Rosengard just now, but when you first moved over, it was Eskilstuna United. Um, yeah. So how, how did that move from Glasgow to, to Eskilstuna, which is outside Stockholm area? It's a little bit south of Stockholm, yeah. Um, so we drew them in the Champions League with City. And we played against them and I managed to play pretty well in that, that game or those games. Um, and they just contacted me at the end of that season. And at that point, I knew I wanted to go and play pro. I had wanted to go and play pro before my, my injury. And I had, that was my first year back from injury. So, um, yeah, like to me, I had had the options of going to England or going to Sweden. And I just, uh, the same thing when I knew that I wanted to move from Celtic to City, I just knew that I wanted to go there. I wanted to experience a different culture. I wanted to go and kind of been like thrown in at the deep end that I had to learn like a new language. I had to learn a new culture. I had to do everything myself, like for the first time, because I was obviously in the National Academy. So I finished the National Academy and then went there. So like, I didn't have the experience, the life experience of like paying taxes in Scotland or living and working and being an being an adult in Scotland. So I did everything for the first time in Sweden, kind of thing, um, in a different language, and it just it just forced me to grow up and learn. And yeah, I just knew that I, I wanted to go and push myself, and I knew from the minute the minute I got there that was the right decision, and the people and the culture just suited me down to the ground. Yeah, I mean, um, I've moved away myself and I've come back because of work reasons, but uh, it's, uh, I think it's such an important opportunity and it feels like it's one in women's football and maybe it's just because the pool of players that are known in women's football is a bit smaller, but it feels like one in women's football that people kind of seem more, more eager to go and grab as an opportunity. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think, I think also the fact is maybe not so much now, but when I left... I had to leave Scotland anyway to be a pro. Like there was no opportunity to be a, a pro in Scotland anyway, not a, a proper one. Uh, at that time, now there is. Um, but at that time, you had to leave either way. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I do think that actually a lot of, a lot of players 
have gone and tried it abroad. And I think it's also because the, the leagues abroad are, are quite respected. Um, they've been professional for quite a period of time now as well. So they're pretty respected around the globe. And yeah, I think for me, I knew that people had been in Sweden. I knew that people had been in Germany. I knew that people had been away. So I wasn't like the first one to do it either. So um, yeah, like I think that's probably why. Cool. And then from Eskilstuna, you moved to Rosengard, um, which is in the south of Sweden, the kind very, of, yeah, very south Malmo region. So Rosengard, most ex- what the Damalsvenskin most times, I think. If I've yeah, um, most most successful club. So how how did that feel? Like you've made, you've taken that leap to Sweden, and then the most successful club in the country have come knocking on your door. Like how how was how was that? Yeah, I mean, it was great. The first year when I was in Sweden, it was all, everything was new. Everything was just like, like I say, I was just riding the kind of a wave because everything was just like, wow, like this is classic. It was the first time I'd ever not had school and then football and then uni and then football. Like I had just football. Um, And like, yeah, I was just like living this life that I had dreamed of kind of like, everything was new everything was different like it was just cool um so that year I just enjoyed myself and I played really well and I think that was just because I was so like I didn't know any of the teams were playing and playing against either I knew of some of the players like from national team and stuff but I didn't really know like I, I didn't know the teams were playing against so every time I was going out there I was like it was new. There was no pre-established, oh, she's quite good, or this is what I need to do. I just played how I play and, and it worked. So when they came in, it was, yeah, it was massive. And um, I actually knew some people that in the, in the team here as well. So that was a, a good thing too. Um, and I just knew that the history of the club. And if you look at the players that have been here and where they've gone from here, it's insane, a massive. So, um it seems like big clubs tend to look towards towards this uh, club as well, knowing that they're they're in a good environment over here. So, yeah, I think they're definitely the most successful club in Sweden. I mean, the the uh, ambition and and the training environment is top. And and if you look at some of the players in the team that probably won't be around for that much longer, and learning from them every day, not many people get the chance. Um, so it was something I hundred percent wanted to be part of. Yeah, because I think had Marta just left when you arrived at Rosengard. Yeah, she just left, and uh, yeah, and Leaky Martins had just left as well. So, um, but the likes of Anya Mitag were still yeah. there, Caroline Sager, like people like that. You you don't realise until you train day in and day out with them that it's just like they'll never be the likes again, never and. The fact I got to train and play and still get to play with Sagar, but Anya Anya's retired now. But with them, it's like the amount that I've learned from them is mental. And two of the most humble, humble human beings I've ever met, even though they've probably got the biggest trophy cabinets out of <laughs> most people. Um, yeah, because I think that's the thing as well. I was going to ask about Carolyn Sager because I've heard you kind of mention her a couple of times and a couple of other things I've listened to. And, um, she's like She is a legend, but she's probably a name that unless you kind of know in football, you, you probably wouldn't know about. I think it's probably fair to say. Absolutely. And I think, to be honest, like a lot of people, the younger people in women's football, maybe don't know either. 
Um, but nah, a legend is the best way to describe her, to be honest. Um, she's about to break the record for the most caps ever um, for a Swedish player. Um, she's won the Champions League. She's got World Cup medals, European medals, Olympic medals. Um, but just, an, I, I mean, a leader of the best quality. I, I mean, I've never seen anyone be able to get a team like this, like she does. Um, but she, like I talked about, driving the standards in training. She drives the standards every day. Um, I mean, she's 36 on Friday, and she'll absolutely kill me for saying that. But she, she's going to be 36 on Friday. And honestly, like it's like she gets better with age. Like She just, the standards she sets, she just is phenomenal the way she sees the game. But just how human she is as well. And just being able to, she, I mean, she's been there for me many times. She's a really really good friend she's able to help me and pick me up or when I was injured she was a massive massive part of of my support system and yeah like just a really really good person and she's one of these people you want success for because of how she is um, and I feel bad because she's been one of these people that's driven for change and, and been the change and she probably won't get the benefits from it Um, she's been a huge 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 part of changing women's football for the better in Sweden. I was going to ask you about kind of women's football in Sweden in general at the moment, because I think it's fair to say Sweden was very much one of the forerunners in terms of European women's football. The league's well established. The Amal Svenskin, as we've already talked about, lots of big names have played at it. But see, as, um, as like the bigger nations, let's call them bigger nations, can't think of a better word for it, as they get bigger, do you, do you think Swedish the Swedish league's going to be able to keep up with that or do you think you're going to see more people kind of using that as that step to the the big names of football as as they're kind of known? Yeah, I do. I think unless there's some serious investment, then yeah, I do think they're going to struggle. Just, I mean, the men's teams in England, for example, now taking on the women's teams, it's impossible for a Swedish club to to compete with that. Um, But... Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen because, I mean, the structure and the way the league is and the way things run here, it's very, very well done. Um, and I hope that they get get more support and we get more support to then to continue that and be able to compete. Um, but for us, like obviously, being in the last eight in Europe, um, it's going to be really, really good to be able to see, like, actually, we can still compete here. Um, so, but, but I do think that that is a worry, 100%. As the, as the other leagues get bigger and the backing of men's clubs come in, like how can you compete with that unless you've got a backing of a men's club? And we all know over here as well, even the men's club, they're not as profitable of the, as the men's clubs back in England or um, across the world. So, yeah, it is a worry, 100%. And um, I really hope that it's not, it doesn't get too late before it's noticed. Yeah, I mean, because it was a... Uh... The incident as well with uh, Copperberg's Gotteberg, who won the yeah. won the league, and then was it that the club weren't be going to be able to be funded, and then IFK stepped in. Now I, I kind of I was following it a little bit, and then it seemed to get a little bit muddy in terms of what happened with, with them. Yeah, I mean their sponsor, their head sponsor, um, didn't want to be their head sponsor anymore, but actually they've been bought, bought over by Hecken, which is a, a male team in the uh, Alsvenskan. So that's actually probably worked out for the best for them because they're now way better funded. They've got a men's club back in and Copperberg is still a sponsor. It's just not, I mean, as big a sponsor. Um, 
so yeah so that worked out really well for them but it did show like the fragility of of women's football in in general not just Sweden just in general um and I'm really glad that it got resolved because it, like the, the the players in at that team like they didn't deserve it for for that to be the case but now it's actually better for them which is really good yeah absolutely and the way you said I, I would call it hacking but you said it in such a so <laughs> Swedish that uh, I'm impressed uh, I've, I've been over at Gothenburg and I've seen Gothenburg's play I can't remember when it was it was when flights were super cheap and Gothenburg was the place that was the cheapest so I was like I'll just go um, <laughs> but yeah I think you're right as it kind of does show the kind of fragility of it but as you mentioned things are going pretty well at Rosengard in terms of this season the Champions League into the quarterfinals uh, not without St. Poulton in the last round how how's, how was those two games for you because obviously first leg two each and then that kind of win second leg was a win away from home is that right? Yeah I mean first leg we frustrating to lose goals at all because I think they were in our penalty box twice in the game and scored twice Um we didn't take our chances first game at all. Um, and that was the issue. So we knew going away that we, we were the better team. We were going to create chances, just needed to take them. Um, and we did that, luckily. They were they were scrappy. It was it was difficult to play against you. It's, like, it's hard to play your own game against a, a team like that. We just kind of had to get the job done. We were 2-0 two, two up, half time. Get the job done, get it over the line. Um was was the, the instruction and we did and it was an amazing feeling because I mean I've been here a while now and, and that's what we wanted to achieve is, is get further in the Champions League get back to the to the levels that they used to reach quite often and uh, yeah massive achievement for the club as, as well and it's going to be very cool to be in amongst the most elite in Europe um, and I think we deserve to be there personally so it's uh, yeah it's pretty cool. Yeah, because it's uh, Bayern Munich in the in the last last eight. So we are speaking maybe about a week before the, those games. I think if I've got my timelines right. Um, so yeah, Bayern Munich in the last eight. I mean, you're looking forward. To it. It's one of the big names in kind of world football. Absolutely, hundred percent. Like this is why you play at this level to to compete against the best. Um, and Bayern Munich, yeah, like you say, they're one of the best and one of the biggest names um, and now this year as well they've they've actually been top of the German league it's always been Wolfsburg and Bayern were a bit, little bit in the shadow um, and I think it's switched so yeah really cool to play they've got a couple of um, players that used to be at our club so that's also quite fun um, so yeah I definitely wish you Loads of loads of luck in that one. It'd be really cool to see because I think there's three bit, three Scottish players in the last eight, and you can all make it to the semi final. So yes, let's make that happen. That'd be pretty. I cool. hope so. I hope so. That would be really cool. And um, let's talk about Scotland. Made your debut 2017. 15. 15. Oh, that, yeah. that's got that wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, major, what was it like making your Scotland debut? Uh, I'm guessing some buzz. Oh, class. I mean, that's what you dream of. Absolutely, like from from as young as I can remember, that was my dream to play for Scotland. Um, and of course, playing for the youth levels is a massive thing, but to play for the seniors, it's it's the pinnacle. Um, so I think I got pulled up. Um, I think there was a few injuries, to be honest. Um, so I actually got to start the game, which was mental. I don't think that really happens too often. So I was very lucky. Um, 
I remember just standing in the lineup and I was standing next to Kim Little and I was like, well, what is going on right now? Um, but yeah, just, it was amazing. Best feeling in the world and it was against Northern Ireland. So managed to play quite well. Um, and it was really special because actually me, Chloe Arthur and Megan Cunningham, we all came through Celtic 15s together, Celtic first team together, the academy together. And we all three of us got our debut on the same day. Um, so that was really special and yeah it was massive it was really cool and we actually had to like go really quickly after the game to get our flight home so we didn't have to do usually have to do a speech and we got away with it we didn't have to do it and I'm still thankful to this day for it <laughs> oh, so after after you make your day you've got to make a speech in the, like, in, in the dressing room post-match ritual is this part of being yeah you get like your strip that you debuted in and you get like the cap and stuff and and usually you like say something uh, just like thanks or whatever Um, and we didn't have to do it which is I think we're probably the only three that have never had to do it. That's pretty good. So do you get one of the old school velvet caps as well like the proper gold trim? You you do if it's a competition game not for friendly but competition games you do. And uh, what what do you do with them? My mum's got them all. All Um, She's got them in a box. I've got one here in um, a wee thing, and but I think I've got my first goal one here. And but my mum's got them all. Mum's got all my Scotland stuff, like all the strips, all the memorabilia, and all the stuff like in a in a big box um, that she keeps. And she's got a few like she got a few of my strips framed actually just there at Christmas. Uh, I think my first cap, my Euros one, my World Cup one. And then I've got one from Rosengard that Henrik Larson signed for me because um, he's friends with my coach, luckily enough. Nice. So it was like good luck at the World Cup. So they've got that one up as well. But no, yeah, my caps are just in a box. I want to keep them good. They're really they're really nice. Like, um, So I want to keep them good. As somebody who, who is accepted, I will never get a Scotland cap. It's, it's cool that you, you look after them like that. But yeah, yeah. Um, you, you've mentioned the Euros and World Cup as well, obviously, making your debut, but going to, I mean, Euros first of all, that first major tournament for Scotland and being involved in that, what what was that like? I mean, a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. I think we didn't really know anything, like what to expect or what, we didn't really know anything. So, yeah, it was a whirlwind and, it, I mean, it didn't go our way, but we made our mark on the tournament at least and, yeah, the experience of it all was incredible and for me, like, really like the fans the fans being how how unbelievable they were over there but then coming home and seeing the difference and seeing just the change the change in the country and the change in the shift in attitudes and the opportunities that became available for for the young girls it's honest like it was weird to see it because I live away as well so like I saw the difference um so that was incredible and then obviously the world cup as well like there's nothing like there's no better stage to be on um and for me it was a bit of a like obviously I was struggling a wee bit with my knee which was which was a bit of a a nightmare um it was manageable and stuff but it wasn't quite right and that that was obviously a bit of a a downer but to be honest I, I would have played through anything like to be to be on that to be on that pitch so it wasn't a problem or anything and um yeah, it, it was incredible, like heartbreaking. But I, I choose to remember it for for the good sides, not for for the heartbreak. No, and I, I think 
times times are great healers, the old adage, and I think as time goes on, I think a lot of people do start. I, I was over for there, and it's still first time I was able to go to a World Cup as, and watch Scotland. So for that, I'm forever grateful. It might never happen again, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, like it, in terms of that that experience, like in those big tournaments, obviously getting to getting on the World Cup. Actually, do you remember kind of like the build up to the World Cup? Did did it feel as you mentioned? Obviously, you started like in a in a Dumbling gym. And then you had this kind of World Cup, you had the big send-off at Hamden. Like, do you remember that build-up and what it felt like? Yeah, I mean, I obviously was over here. Um, and then I came home and I, I was starting to see loads and loads of stuff like online and just rumbles of stuff. And I was getting, con like, everyone, all of us were getting contacted by local media from where we lived and, and stuff like that. And Dumbledore's quite a small town, so it was quite a big thing um, for Sterling, Dumbledore, and that kind of thing. And... Yeah, I, I started to get in, like kind of like whiffs of actually this is God like people are really into this, uh, and then got home for camp and I was like God like this is going to be class like this is going to be big, um, so yeah I, I mean we were shielded probably mostly from it like we were in camp a lot and I think we got like three days before we flew between like playing at Hamden and going, and I remember just like. I just didn't really look at my phone. I just, we went, me and my family went um, on like away on a big day trip, like my entire family. And they were obviously also excited as well. And then, uh, yeah, we went away on that and then like just kind of stayed away. And then obviously we flew out, um, which was incredible. It just, I mean, from there, there on, it just was like, was like a whirlwind. Like it went so quickly, but also just like, things happen and now you're like god that happened but at the time it was just like oh that happened then next 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 like kind of tournament football works like that but yeah I, I mean it's incredible you still you still kind of remember things now and if you go back and look through all the stuff and that like you remember things you're like oh I forgot that happened or or whatever so yeah it was it was like the how the country bought into it was just like class one of the one of my kind of favourite moments actually before you kind of all went over to the World Cup was um, you train at Orion kind of for camps and stuff like that is usually usually the case um, and I think there was an SWPL two game I was at and Hearts were playing somebody and you had I think Lana Cleland and Claire Emsley just kind of just kind of sauntered in like in their other gear and you just saw people's faces like light up round about them and like yeah. just the idea of doing that. Like with the men's team and them just kind of walking into Firhill, for example, and doing the same thing, it'd just be completely different. But it was, uh, it was, it was cool. I, I mean, obviously, it's not been the ideal scenario, kind of, kind of in terms of qualifying for the Euros. Scotland, in terms of yourself, kind of, has it been like it being about as much about getting back playing regularly the Rosengard as it has been kind of looking ahead to getting kind of more regular team thing with Scotland? Yeah, I mean, obviously, for me, I went from being at the World Cup to being told you might not be playing football any longer um, and yeah I, my whole focus was just on my recovery obviously came back last summer but I wasn't really the way we had to wait for Covid and stuff like that and then play the league the league was played like Sunday Wednesday Sunday Wednesday like that and like for somebody coming back you need proper sessions in before you can properly play um, and I wasn't able to get that for a while so I was getting dribs and drabs and try, they were trying to build me up until it got to the point where I could really compete so yeah so then eventually getting that getting 
getting back into that it was all just about actually can I get through games without pain like is the knee going to work and then just probably towards the latter end of this the year it was more about like right now I need to start really focusing on like getting on me and like football more kind of thing like not just like the pain or manageable we, we found a way that the knee's fine so now it's about actually like looking at, at me and how I'm going to get back to where I was and right before I was injured I was probably at my best so typically that usually happens but um yeah so that that was all about getting back there and obviously I got pulled back in for camp at the end of last year which was completely a shock to me because at that point I was just trying to focus on actually getting back mm. um so that was just like uh, at that stage that was just for me just a stage of like enjoy this because you did not think this was going to happen like you didn't know if you'd ever be there again like it, it was just one of those moments of just being so proud that I'd actually actually got back um and back in there so so for me in the last camp we weren't allowed to travel so with COVID and stuff so yeah so and that, in terms of that it was a bit frustrating so for me I'm back playing now I'm feeling really good back playing well so if I can just try and keep myself playing well and get myself onto the level that I know I can get to then hopefully um I'll be back into into Scotland again. And is the season just starting back in Sweden now? Is, that, is it Swedish Cup games that they're on at the moment? Yeah so we've played Swedish Cup we played we played the Champions League Wednesday and then we played Swedish Cup Sunday. We play again Friday and then we play Champions League Wednesday. So it's all go at the moment. Um, I think we've got eight games in March and then the league starts in April. So it's Swedish Cup is like kind of like the warm-up games and then into the league. And do you prefer that kind of bang, 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 like kind of game, game, game? Or are you somebody that likes game and then kind of a bit of kind of training or all footballers like to play games, eh? Surely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I think like how it is just now, it's exciting. Like, and at the end of the day, when you've been off, like when we're being in preseason, like all you want is games. All you need is games. Um. So yeah. So it's that for us was massive, and I think that will be really important going forward. And and like rotating the the group of players and making sure everyone's getting like enough rest, but also being able to be fresh to to play games is obviously. It's difficult, but it's important. So that's that's what it's all about just now. But yeah, I like I like when it's game, game, game. I can't really believe that we're halfway through March, if I'm honest. It's it's wild. One day I'll remember exactly what outside of the Glasgow border feels like, but until then, <laughs> until then, I'll make I'll make the telly telly views of places. Tell you what, we've talked lots about football, so let's let's wrap up with a bit bit of Swedish life. I'm going to ask you some kind of quick fire questions. Some are football based, some are. Not football-based, and uh, okay. let's see what you come up with. So, first question, start with football ones. Who's the best player you've played with? Oh, um, I would say Caroline Sager's got to be one. Um, Anya Mitag's got to be up there, and probably Kim. Cool. And what about best best opposition player you played against? Who's the, who's the one that's came, can, defend that's given you the roughest ride? It's not a defender, but um, when we played against PSG with Glasgow City, Shirley Cruz, she was unbelievable. <laughs> like, I've never seen somebody so technically gifted. Like, honest to God, like, we couldn't get near her. I think we had three players on her at one point and she was still turning out, like, Cruyff, like, Javi turn, all, all this. <laughs> She's unbelievable, unbelievable. I think in the flesh to see, I didn't play directly against her, but, like, yeah, 
mental. Is there players that just have that, like when you're on a pitch with them, like you can, people always talk about you see a player and you just like, who's class, bit of a cliche, but is there players when you're on a pitch, you just kind of look at them and go, I'm going to try and stay quite far away from you because you could be a bit silly. If it's a massive big defender, yeah. <laughs> um, are you sweet or savoury? Savoury. Savoury. Uh, oh, so we'll, we'll ask this next question, we'll go back to that. So cinnamon bun or cardamom bun? Cinnamon bun. Cinnamon bun. See, I'm quite, I, I, I discovered cardamom buns when I was in Sweden and I quite like them though. Yeah, they are good to be fair, but a little, I don't know, cinnamon bun just, oh, I love it. They're also huge out here. Well, cinnamon buns as well? Yeah, cinnamon buns are like the main one and then cardamom is like a little, like, extra. Something a little bit jazzy. Yeah. Yeah, feel fancy. Have you, <laughs> uh, have you ever had the, the stinky fish from the tin, the Sturmstronging? No, 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 no. Would you, would you try it if somebody bring it? Bring it I probably would. I'd try anything, let's be serious. But <laughs> um, no, we do like sometimes like we have like a big Easter meal or whatever, or, like together as a team and they have like their traditional like fish stuff. Um, my mum, I think my mum likes, I think mum and dad when they've been and stayed in like a hotel or whatever, I think they quite like it. It's a bit like kippers, isn't it? Well, yeah, because I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a kind of tin you've got to open it outside, otherwise it will yeah. just stink out your house for a while. I think mum and dad like it, but no, I haven't I haven't been brave enough yet. I mean, if somebody said to me, you need to try that, I would try it, but um, no, there's too many other good foods here that I like. <laughs> I was going to ask then, what's, what's, your, what's your kind of favourite Swedish things in terms of food? I do love the meatballs, traditionally. Um not the Ikea, well, the Ikea ones are good, but their actual, like, restaurant ones are, are amazing. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I just love, like, the the freshness of the food. Like, there's a lot of places we go to, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go and get a salad, but it's not just, like, at home. It's, like, filled with, like, rice or noodles, and it's just got so many different flavours, It's and it's very, like, good quality. Um, I just love, yeah, the freshness of the food over here is something that I, I really, really like. How do you feel about the fact that every time you buy a bag of sweets, it tastes like licorice? <laughs> that, that is something I've learned to love. That's, I hated licorice when I moved here. And I think probably maybe two years in, I thought, you're going to need to get over this because it is what it is. And now I really enjoy it. But it's, it's not as like dark, dark licorice like at home. It's more like a sweet kind of, I don't know, it's weird. I, I just remember I had a hangover. Uh, when I was over and I thought I'll get I'll get myself some Haribo cheer myself up and then took a bite and that was that was you should the thing if you should have gone to like the Hemmingfell it's like a pick and mix shop nice oh that is but does, it, does everything not taste like does everything not secretly licorice over that so is that not part of the no, part after, of the game part? There's, a lot, there's a lot that it has licorice but there's a lot that's not like these shops are massive actually when Glasgow City played against Bromby last year in the Champions League or two years ago and Bromby's obviously just over the bridge for me yeah. so I went to the game and I was still on my crutches I think I just had surgery I was still on my crutches and I'd just been to the game and I took um, Hayley and Joe a big bag of um, the sweets from the shop and there's a picture um, and it's me giving it to Hayley and her face is just <laughs> like like the look of love honestly <laughs> uh, I was going to say, do you go over the bridge a lot? Because obviously, Mamo to Copenhagen is like super close. It's got that the bridge famous yeah. from the the Scandinavian. So, did you yeah. go over? Do you go over a lot? 
Yes, he dead easy. Not in COVID times. I've not been over for over a year now. Well, you go over to get to the airport to fly because that's the yeah. easiest way to fly home. But um, I've not been into Copenhagen for ages because obviously COVID. But yeah, it's, it's really close. We should go more than than we do, but we go we, we go quite often. Um, Copenhagen's an amazing city, like just so much. And um, there's always new things to see, new things to try, loads of nice restaurants, cafes, good shops. So yeah, there's loads to do. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Copenhagen. Although I find the mermaid was probably one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen. Have you ever... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Especially because I walked to it and I thought, I'll walk to this and I'll, I'll feel good about myself. And then you get there and you see a lot of tourists and you go, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it's just... No, it's not great, to be it's honest. Not, it's not that great. Would not recommend <laughs> if anybody's going to Copenhagen. I mean, nah, go see it because you kind of have to, but don't don't make a day just out Just don't be excited. <laughs> yeah, temper, temper expectations. Well, I mean, obviously you've been in Sweden now for five years. Is there anything you miss from Scotland, kind of in terms of like whether it's like a home comfort or any kind of food that's really difficult to get over? Hundred percent. I miss loads about Scotland. To be honest, I miss. I mean, the people before anything else. I think there's nothing. There's nothing like Scottish humour, like nothing like it, and the sarcasm. Just like I don't know. Just being a Scot is just unreal. So I do miss the people and the culture a lot. Um. I miss my mum's roast dinners more than anything in the world. Um, just my mum's cooking, if I'm honest. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just like normal, just like the stuff, like uh, the stuff here that's like good, like the chocolate and stuff, it's really, really good, but it's not like Cadbury's or um, like Iron Brew. Who doesn't miss that? Yeah. Just, yeah, stuff like that. Like just um, like Easter eggs stuff they don't do like their easter eggs is all like the like the pick and mix sweeties and like a cardboard egg all right okay oh Chad, i know so, so you I don't know. get the chocolate egg no everybody because that, that's the best type of chocolate as well it's like egg. right <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why but it is exactly exactly i've been saying this for years i'm so happy that you said <laughs> that because it's the same chocolate as a bar but it's not because it tastes so much better so like stuff like that, like little traditional things, like we don't get. And I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. I always, always, always get a roast dinner when I go home. Yeah. Um. Because I don't, I don't eat a lot of meat over here at all. I eat a lot of fish, but I don't really eat meat that much. Um. I just find that it's not as good over here as what it is at home. Um. And then I go home, and mom's been to the butchers, and I eat enough for the year that I've not eaten <laughs> it. But um. No, yeah, just like. Home com- normal home comforts, just like, yeah, normal stuff like that, like home cooking and baking and stuff like that. And I brew. <laughs> do, you, do you find that Scottish patter, for want of a better word, tran- translates to, to Swedish people? Or is it, are people, st- even now, are people still like, what, sometimes you're absolutely ending yourself at something and everybody else is like, yeah. what's, what's she doing? <laughs> I mean... My group of friends here, I've completely, I've had them for like four, four or five years now. So they've learned, they've learned my humour. Um, I'm very, very sarcastic as well. And they love that. Like they're also quite sarcastic. So I feel like I've le- I've taught them like a little bit. So they're, they're pretty good actually. Like they tend to find the same things funny as me, but um, I've still got a really, really tight group of friends at home. And honestly, I just sit and cry laughing at their group chat because it's just yeah it's just Scottish patter um but it does translate a bit I think they all they all find me quite like funny like sarcastic or 
silly. Um, some of them probably think I'm absolutely nuts. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it, it doesn't. There's nothing like Scottish humour than in a Scottish environment. But I think it, I think it translates okay. I have to hold back a little bit. Like I can't go full throttle like I would at home. Um, but yeah, because <laughs> I mean, Scandinavian countries are also well known for being able to speak English almost better than we do, let's be honest. Um, and that is something... Better than... I, they correct my grammar all the time. Yeah, I, I can imagine. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's something I've ever found whenever I've been somewhere and I've been speaking to somebody from the UK and I've been trying to have a conversation with them while also speaking to somebody from the country I'm in. And it's... I bet as well be speaking three languages sometimes because if it's not Scottish, you know yourself, you can just go down this rabbit hole and yeah. people are kind of glazing over you're talking. Um, mentioning Scandinavian art, are you into it? Is it, is it something that you've taken up? Because obviously it's, it seems to be one of the things that's definitely translated kind of from Sweden over to kind of the rest of the world in terms of those kind of crime dramas. The, the TV shows yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've watched, a f- I've watched a few, like The Bridge and the... Um, Wallander, that's based here in Malmo, so that's quite fun to watch um, because it's the same, it's actually filmed here, so it's like you recognise the places. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I watch a fair bit, a fair bit, but yeah, like we sometimes we go through phases, sometimes we've got loads of time to watch series, and then other times, like just now, no time whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty mixed to be honest. I watch a little bit of them, but mostly just. The same as everyone else, normal Netflix dramas or whatever. What's, what's your go-to at the moment then? Um, well, I just finished Kingdom on Netflix, which is about, I don't know if you've seen it, it's uh, it's about like a family that fight in the like, MMA and boxing and they've got a gym and all the, the drama and stuff surrounding it. Um, that one was quite good, just different and... I don't know how I've managed to do this. My mum's horrified, but I've never seen like all the line of duties. So I mean, that starts that starts back. People will be hearing this by the time this that won't have started by the time people hear this. Well, they might have yeah, it starts I've, back this week. I've right? been told my both my mum and my auntie have been told me that line of duty starts next back next week. So um yeah, so I'm working my way through all of them so that I'll be able to watch the new ones. Um so yeah, that's been something I've been watching just now. Um, I've been told. I mean, I've been told so many things to watch recently. Yeah. I've got a list. <laughs> I always find when people tell me to watch stuff that I'll say yes, and then I probably won't watch it for. <laughs> yeah. if, if at all, it's nice. I always say that thanks, but I'll probably won't. Um, I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll watch it, and then I'm like, no, I won't. And in terms of um, let's 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 round it off with a football question. So. Say things go amazing with the Rosengard and you win the Champions League and you're put in charge of the night out in, in Mammo to celebrate. What what happens? What what goes down? Where where would you go? What would you do? Um to be honest, I I probably have to take it back because I always said, like, oh, they don't know how to party. Like, I mean, some of the parties we had at Glasgow City were unbelievable. But <laughs> uh, when we won the league 2019, we had the best party ever um so they were actually pretty good usually it's usually it starts at the club got a big like club and like um vip bit and everything so usually it starts there and then you end up going 
there's like a small little square in the town that's like all um got outdoor seating indoor it's all lit up it's really really nice loads of restaurants loads of bars probably go there uh usually one of our sponsors is there so we get to go in there it's free drinks all night blah 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 and then obviously go maybe to the club <laughs> just go full throttle there's also a casino if anyone doesn't want to go home also that. um so yeah it depends how how if people are in the mood to go all out or not, um, if we end up in the casino or not, or there might be an after party, someone's house that's also happened before. So I'm in for, I like after party at, at people's houses. I feel like that's, that's the way forward. Well, that's, that's a proper VIP, but you can have a sponsor all you want, but if you make it to the after party, that's, that's exactly. when you're in. Exactly. exactly. So 2019 was good though, because we went and all our sponsors were there and they were just like, yeah, like just order whatever you want, like drinks, whatever. And I think we were there till like three in the morning. And I thought they're going to really regret telling us to order whatever. <laughs> never, never offer a Scottish person a free bar. <laughs> no, and I was, I was still in crutches at this point. So, I mean, I was well behaved, but um, to an extent. Awesome. Well, I think I've kept you long enough because we've talked for ages. I didn't realise the time until I looked up there. But uh, thank you very much for coming on, Fiona. I really appreciate it. Not, not at all. Really enjoyed that. Thank you for having me. No, no problem at all. Um, obviously, thank you very much for listening to this, if you have done. And please spread the word if you've enjoyed it and tell other people about it. But um, for now, uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, stay safe and we'll speak again soon. <laughs>